0: So welcome everyone to the third series of our treasure seminar and the first to be held online and the treasure seminar is an interdisciplinary forum on treasure discovery and scriptural revelation, focusing mainly but by no means exclusively on Asian cultures. And this third series will consider the interrelated themes of scriptural revelation in South Asian Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, and the non dual Shaivism of Kashmir. Previous meetings have all been held face to face at various locations in Oxford, but the Zoom era now permits us to expand our reach and I'm delighted to introduce our first ever online speaker, Professor Natalie Gummer, a leading scholar of Mahayana Buddhism, whom I'm sure most of you have heard of. Natalie Gummer received her PhD from Harvard University in Buddhist studies in 2000 and is currently Professor of Religious Studies at Beloit College in Southern Wisconsin. Her research examines ritual poetic paradigms for the performance of Mahayana Buddhist sutras in ancient South Asia, with a focus on the role of the body in textualized processes of transmission and transformation. She's editor of The Language of the Sutras, Essays in Honor of Luis Gomez, and the author of several articles on Buddhist ritual and literary culture. She's currently completing a monograph entitled Performing the Buddha's Body, Mahayana Sutras as Ritual Speech Acts.
1: Um, Thanks, I'm I'm so honored to be part of this uh, seminar and and, uh, very excited about uh, what I might learn from it. So, uh, let me just say this presentation is based on a paper that's currently under review. Of course, I've had to cut it quite a lot, but hopefully it'll still make sense to people. Um, My goal today is to investigate some of the verbal rituals that infest the dharma Dharmabanaka with power in the hopes of shedding some light on possible connections between this performer of the Dharma, right, the dharma Dharmabanaka, and the Tirtan. Um, Of course, I must leave it to those of you with the expertise um, to determine which aspects of any of the ritual and rhetorical frameworks I will explore today might have relevance to the tertan. I'm really excited to learn more from all of you. I'm going to focus on a single chapter in the Siddharma Pundarika, but let me begin by distinguishing three kinds of dharmabhanikas that appear in Mahayana Sutras, at least, you know, that's what I've counted so far. Um, one is the Dharma as an individual character, right? Um, sometimes introduced in a Jataka style narrative, um, like Dharmodgata in the Ashtasahasrika or Ratnochaya in the Suvarna Prabhasa. Another is the generic dharmabanaka. So this is the J- dharmabanaka's category. And he's the focus of what, uh, what, at least at first glance, appears to be theoretical reflection by the Buddha or his interlocutors. Um, and then always hovering behind these two kinds of dharma-bonica is a third, uh, the who who is performing these narratives right, about the character or performing the reflections about the category. Um, and to be clear, I mean, this third Dharmabhanaka is no more a real world character than the other two. He's, he too is produced by the sutra of which he is the posited performer, right? Um, and effective, the sutra is frequent reference to its own performance. Um, so there's, there's a fourth kind, I guess, too, right? The actual performer. Um, but, about, but about him, we have no direct evidence, at least in the Indic context of which I'm aware of. Um, so my focus today is on mainly on the intersection of the second and the third of these Dharmabhanakas and what seems to me one of the most sustained reflections on the Dharmabhanaka as category, indeed as ontological category, that we have available to us. But um, at the same time, it's because it's meant to be performed by a dharma bhānika, and um, uh, uh, there, therein lies its ritual performative magic, right? It makes him into a dharma in a profoundly embodied sense. So. Um, my focus is the chapter on the benefits to the performer of the dharma of the sadharma pundarika right which offers a particularly vivid and complex example of the conceptions of ritual performance that inform at least some mahayana sutras and their relationship to the embodiment of power um, I hope this investigation will clarify both what sort of performance the sutra envisions its Dharmabhanaka enacting, as well as the nature of the bodily transformations the sutra promises to enact upon him in the course of his performance. A close reading of passages from this chapter reveals how the multi-layered performance of the sutra, which I want to say is a ritual and dramatic reenactment. Uh, effects transformation of the bodies of both its performers and its auditors. Um, As I've argued elsewhere this bi directional efficacy finds ample precedent in rituals for conferring displaying exercising and perpetuating sovereign power Um, and. Here, I contend that the performance of the sutra enacts the interdependent rituals of Abhisheka and Darshan through verbal practices of impersonation, self-praise, and ontological transformation. Okay, so um, the practice of Darshan, probably best known from the act of taking Darshan, of material images of deities, develops as um, Marco Gaslani's recent work has shown from much earlier rituals of sovereignty that render the site of the king's newly consecrated body, a source of auspiciousness and blessing for his subjects. So Gaslani argues that the subsequent creation and consecration of material images for this purpose aims to redress the problem of the mortality and decrepitude of the king's fleshly body. Uh, suspending the royal body at the height of auspiciousness in the ritual process, the moment when it has been bathed with the waters of appeasement and then presented darsayet, to a viewing public. It preserves this state in petrified form. Right? That's what the image does. Yeah? Darshan is thus a visual encounter that emerges from a meticulous ritual performance. The royal body is made to be seen. Um, so enter the Buddha's quintessentially sovereign body, right? Um, like the Vedic King, the Mahayana Buddha attains his sovereign status through identification with the entire cosmos achieved through repeated rituals of self-sacrifice, right? Um, and conferred or confirmed through verbal Abhisheka. Um, the latter consisting of his explicitly conse- consecratory prediction to Buddhahood by previous Buddhas. Um, and he displays his kingship in his body, ornamented with the marks of a great man, Mahapurusha, and destined either for the universal territorial dominion of the Chakravartan or the cosmic rule, Shasana, of a Buddha over his own field. And once he attains that body, people under his rule desire darshan of him because of the auspicious power that emanates from this perfected body. Um, The advent of his parinirvana occasions the generation of practices for ensuring that this royal power remains present and accessible, including the Abhisheka and Darshan of Buddha images and numerous other practices, um, the self-consecrating performance of the Dharmabanaka among them. Um, And as an aside, um, especially for Rob, because we've been talking a little bit about this on email, um, the association of the Buddha and his substitutes with kingship might also account in part for the importance of yakshas to the revelation and preservation of Mahayana sutras to their protective function vis-a-vis the Dharmabanaka and perhaps also to the connection some have noted of the Mahayana to the forest. Um, Because, um, I mean, Gaslani has pointed out that royal power depends on the king's ability to control the chaotic powers of the wilderness. So in one of the recurring motifs of this pattern, the forest shrine of a yaksha, sometimes a simple seed or throne, forms the source of sovereignty. Controlling the shrine and defeating the yaksha guarantees the control and security of the kingdom. In some instances, the throne in the wilderness actually serves as the site of a coronation ritual. Um, That's all from Ghislani. Um, so the Dharma body. Then um, the Sadharma, Sadharma Pundarika draws explicitly and at, implicitly upon the ritual mechanisms of Abhisheka and Darshan in seeking to ameliorate the apparent bodily death and absence of the Buddha. Um, Rather than consecrating material images, however, the sutra consecrates its performers and thereby its audiences. It reveals or reframes the Buddha's apparent Parinirvana as one of his efficacious strategies, upaya kaushalya. Um, His true body is the sutra itself. The performance of a dharmabhanaka brings that body to life and makes it present and visible. The Dharma is not yet a Buddha, but like a material image, acts as a vessel for his power and presence, his verbal essence. As he performs the Buddha's litany of his sensory enhancements with his natural Prakrita body, um, he effects his own transformation and thus gives his audiences darshan of a body infused and transformed by the auspicious power of Buddha speech. And unlike an image, it is a body that can bestow Apisheka as well as Darshan. Um, the Dharmabanaka in turn infuses listeners with the vital sovereign essence of the Buddha or the Sutra. Um, same thing. Uh, including the ubiquitous narrative speech acts that remake or reveal the past and future of audience members, right? This is throughout the sutras it does this. Um, like those that instruct a material image in the life story that it thereby embodies and makes present. The Sarama Pundarika is a brilliant ritual technology for ensuring that encounters with the sovereign power and visible presence of the Buddha can continue in the absence of his fleshly body, re-embodied in other bodies. Um, so when he speaks, the Dharmabhanaka impersonates the Buddha and transforms himself and his audiences thereby. I mean, transformation by mimetic impersonation has a venerable pedigree in ancient South Asia. And here I'm drawing on the work of Kaylee Smith, who writes of Vedic hymns of impersonation, that they present themselves as reenactments of primordial events in the present. And that this reenactment is ontologically homologous to the emulated original. That is, the texts do not present this change as merely a poetic device, but a real transformation of being. Um, The significant subcategory of Mahayana Sutras that focus on their own performance and performers share with the Vedic ritual corpus the idea of a textualized essence that is transmitted through hearing, memorizing, and re-performing text. Surely this ritual precedent informs the self-referential rhetoric of Mahayana Sutras, which are so deeply concerned with preserving and transmitting the Buddha's verbal essence, and so deliberately keyed to the moment of visual and oral performative encounter. Nowhere are these self-referential strategies more potently performative than in the frequent appearances of the Dharma Bonica as a central topic in the dramatic utterances that come forth from his own mouth at the moment of performance. And to my knowledge, no reference to the Dharma Bonica is more spectacularly and self-referentially embodied than the list of benefits to the performer of the dharma in which the enhanced sensory capacities of the performer, qua performer, form the substance of the entire chapter. Okay. The chapter opens with a kind of prediction made by the Buddha for performers of the sutra. They will gain 800 attributes of the eye, 1200 of the ear, 800 of the nose, 1200 of the tongue, 800 of the body and 1200 of the mind. And these attributes will make the six sense organs completely pure. These sensory enhancements constitute the focus of the subsequent sense-specific sections in which the Buddha introduces each sense in turn, first in prose and then in verse. These sections tell us that although the performer does not yet possess divine divya uh, sense faculties, his performance of the sutra will cause his natural or ordinary prakrita faculties to gain the special capacities associated with divine sense organs, that is, their sensory reach pervades the cosmos. So what's going on here? Why does the Dharmabhanaka's performance of the sutra produce sensory enhancements, especially Divya sensory enhancements in a Prakrita body? If we read the ensuing lists as though the sutra were simply trumpeting the benefits received by the performers of the sutra, then I think we miss the complexity of the chapter's normative vision of its own performance. Part of this complexity is historical. The Bonicas' performance stands in a robust lineage of practices of ontological transformation through what Stephanie Meyer has called the intentional and heavily ritualized introduction of revelation into one's person. So in the Rigveda Aranyakas, which she investigates, the person is a permeable entity into which deified sense faculties enter and become established through ritual utterance the ritual realization of this profound interpenetration of language and person is what maiher calls becoming samskrita right and the senses both as divine entities and as bodily entry points are central to this process Impersonation serves as precisely such a mode of introduction, a way of making a potent past speech act present and real, and in the process, transforming the person who utters that speech. In this context, reenactment is a performance that engenders a real ontological transformation. The notion of a composite self, Smith writes, is how the oral tradition theorizes the ontology of the individual as an entity who embodies texts and transmits texts to new bodies. In the chapter on the benefits to the performer of the Dharma, the Dharmabhanaka is similarly we might say becoming samskrita as his sense faculties transformed through his embodiment and utterance of the sutra from Prakrita to Divya. Now, the sutra does not use the term Sanskrita, um, but it does use Sanskrit, right, of a sort. Um, and maybe the sonic power of the language to perfect, divinize, and immortalize the person offers some fresh explanations as to why, maybe. In any case, um, the transformative process and product of becoming Sanskritized buddhavacana bears a striking resemblance to that enacted in the Aranyakas. The Dharmabhanaka's bodily senses gain cosmic scope through his consecratory purification, this being one of the central connotations of Samskrita, right, and one of the central ritual functions of Sanskrit. Um, which he attains through reenacting the verbal performance of the Buddha, and thus infusing himself with the Buddha's sonorous speech. In the terms of, the South, of South Asian rituals of sovereignty, he becomes the whole. Right? His senses perceive, his speech attracts, and his body encompasses the entire cosmos. Like Sanskrit as theorized in the Aranyakas, Sanskritized Buddha Vachana introduces qualities through language that affect changes within the person, transmitting and perpetuating a male lineage in the process. But to fully appreciate the complexity of this performance, we need to imagine the chapter as enacted by a Dharmabhanaka. This chapter about the Dharmabhanaka's body is a script awaiting embodied performance by a Dharmabanaka. The words of the Buddha that the Dharmabanaka utters direct attention to his own body. Receptive audiences would sense and perceive themselves to be sensed by the divine powers behind the Dharmabanaka's natural sense faculties. Um, Thus, while the sutra assumes and asserts that the body of the performer who stands before the audience is natural, prakrita in origin and substance, it also invests that body by virtue of its ver- verbal performance with a host of supernatural qualities, right? Indeed, the explicit assertion that the Dharmabhanaka's sense organs are natural, that they will not appear different from those of ordinary people, enables audiences to see the sensory powers as they see and hear the dharmabanaka performing his own bodily gifts by giving voice and body to the Buddha's sonorous speech thereon. Um, Those proclamations may be read as a commentary on the nature of performance as well. In acting the part of the Buddha, the Dharmabhanaka takes on the Buddha's own sensory gifts and makes them manifest to an audience. The part he plays inhabits his body and enables audiences to see and be seen by, to have darshan of the Buddha vachana infused body of a Buddha surrogate. And If his performance succeeds, if the audience sees his body as invested with Buddha-like powers, then on some level he becomes more Buddha-like, confounding a clear distinction between the performative and the ontological. Yet he remains a performer with sense faculties that appear prakrita, despite the manifestation of their divine scope in and through the performance. These performative effects are dramatically and distinctively embodied in the Buddha's and the Dharmabanaka's utterance regarding each of the senses. Um, And I'll turn there now. The sense by sense catalog begins with a prose proclamation of the qualities of the Dharmabanaka's eye. With his purified eye, he will see the whole cosmos, inside and out, everything from the hells below to the furthest reaches, reaches of the world above and he will see all the beings who dwell there and know the karmic results of their actions. Now, silent readers might be struck by the penetrating and all encompassing vision of his eye. Right? But imagine a Dharmabhanika standing before an audience, uttering these words, and their effect is altered and magnified. As audiences look at him in the fleshly eye, they see him seeing the entire cosmos from top to bottom. And as he utters the words of the Buddha about the Dharma Bonica, that he will see all the beings who exist there and will know the fruits of their actions, those in the audience see him seeing them, right? His eyes see what they cannot know about themselves. The Dharma Bonica's performance of the Buddha's proclamation about his own eyes, thus sets up a kind of darshanesque encounter in which audiences see and are seen by a a figure endowed with special powers, especially since what they now know about his eyes, despite their fleshliness, makes him more Buddha-like. The performance of the sutra is certainly a kind of reenactment or impersonation, but with a significant twist. The figure presented as the original performer, the Buddha, takes as his topic the future impersonator who thus finds himself in the ambiguous position of playing both Dharmabanaka and Buddha. No wonder his eyes are both Prakrita and Divya. Um, this double vision makes the Buddha's verbal power present again through his surrogate, the Bonica, while also making the Dharmabanaka more Buddha-like. And as I've pointed out before, and this is something that Paul's written about recently too um, with great eloquence, um, when a performance self-referentially invokes the performance uh, situation, including auditors as well as performers, it creates a presencing effect. What had happened is happening and is happening to you. Um, The dramatic force of self-referentiality thus makes the present performance a recapitulation of a past performance, while simultaneously making the past performance into an originary moment. Similarly, it makes the present performance the genesis of a future attainment, while simultaneously making the future attainment, and here I'm talking about the performer's predicted Buddhahood, right? Present, in this case, in the very body and senses of the performer. The performance of the sutra makes it possible for an audience to take darshan of a Buddha via his stand-in, the Dharmabhanaka, who makes the power of a past Buddha present and accessible in his own body and speech, imbuing audiences with the auspicious power of that encounter. And the consecratory narratives of the distant past and future that Buddha and Dharmabhanaka reveal about their auditors are potent elements in this ritual strategy. Elements that enhance the real illusion of not only seeing but also being seen by the Buddha. Um, you could call this oral, oral, oral slash oral darshan. Right? Okay. As with the other sense faculties, the Bonicas ordinary ear is infused with extraordinary sensory capacity via his performance of the Buddha's speech and body, through which the Buddha and his limitless oral awareness ambiguously appear. It also facilitates the experience of a Buddha's cosmic soundscape. The litany of the Dharma Bonicas' ear benefits builds a cosmic chorus, voice, list, voice by listed voice. In the prose that opens the section, the Buddha and the Dharmavanaka enumerate all the different sounds that resound in the ear of the performer and thus of the audience, right? This list itself makes for a powerful auditory experience. 52 sounds, all ending in shabdava, right? Offer a gradually intensifying rhythmic tour of the oral cosmos in all its horror and beauty. Um, And he hears the voices of his human auditors along the way, right, because the full range of human voices from virtuous to vicious presents itself to his ears in this passage. Out of the tumult of sound emerges in the verses that follow the ordered and harmonious utterance of the Dharma, which the Dharmabhanaka hears constantly, or so he says, when he enacts the Buddha's speech about his own ears. Um, and his are not mere descriptive claims. His utterance acts on several levels simultaneously. By reenacting the Buddha's announcement that the Dharma Dharmabanaka hears all these other performers of the Dharma, he makes his voice reverberate with the authority of the Buddha whose words he speaks and hears. And his auditors surely hear an echo as well as other voices like that of the Dharma Dharmabanaka before them join him in communal recitation of the Dharma internalizing the sutra through memorization ritual ritually purifies the dharmabanaka's ear just as the chapter promised at the outset ensuring that he will hear the buddha's performance of the dharma and as is the case with so many of the transformations simultaneously described and enacted in this chapter this claim has a kind of tongue-in-cheek quality um, for the memorized syllables of the sutra do indeed enable him to hear the buddha's speech while uttering that speech offers the audience darshan of his supernormal hearing capacity. At least at first glance, the nose seems less relevant to the Dharmabhanika's oratorical impersonation than the other senses. Yet smell receives the most extended treatment of all the senses. There are 30 verses that endow him with some strikingly specific sniffing skills. Um, the Bonicas nose smells things hidden to the other senses, right? Such as the location of women and their ornaments or animals' dens, right? Whether a child in the womb is male or female, the schemes and hypocrisies of men and where treasure, Nidana, is buried. Um, the ability to distinguish and follow so, so impressive a variety of scents not only testifies to the cosmic range of the nose, but also advertises the Dharma Banaka's special talents of discovery, especially when they come from his own mouth. Um, in this respect, they, they exemplify a feature of the entire chapter and one that, again, invites juxtaposition with Vedic of impersonation. The curious way in which the Dharma by reenacting the Buddha's words about his senses his own senses glorifies and realizes his own unseen powers of perception without himself making any direct claims about those powers. Yeah. Um, The verses on the nose benefits bring these aspects of praise and self-assertion to the fore, in part because the Buddha's pronouncements about the Dharmabhanaka's ability to discover things by scent often hang on the performer's ability to smell the invisible conditions, intentions, or actions of others in his contemporary communities. For instance, the the Buddha says of the Dharmabhanaka that he knows by scent, which of the other Dharmabhanakas possess strong memories, are absorbed in meditation and delight in explication and recitation. Um, This verse uh, makes the Dharmabhanaka both knower and known, endowing him with a gift for smelling out the gifts and defects of his peers. Um, And while he speaks this brilliantly irrefutable assertion with his own mouth, the words and their authority derive from the Buddha. Right? So um, Vedic impersonation often involves performance of the genre of atma-stuti, um, uh, hymn of self-praise, right? which is generally marked by the use of um, first-person pronouns. So the the deity proclaims his or her own accomplishments, and the body and identity of the impersonator is ontologically transformed by his reenactment of the deity's self praise. The ahum, the I, is simultaneously human speaker and deity who become conflated in the moment of speaking. Right? His performance makes it true. Right? Um, he says I, and he makes it true. Um, so. The transformation of the Dharma Bonica um, through his uh, impersonation of the Buddha takes similarly ontological form, yet in this most self-referential of chapters on the performer, the Buddha refers to himself not at all and consistently refers to the Dharma Bonica in the third person, right? But imagine in the performer's mouth, the use of the third person perhaps unexpectedly adds an extra layer of self-reference to the performance of the sutra. He is both recipient and ritual specialist of the authoritative speech of Buddhas, speech with the power to make real the transformations it announces. As the Dharmabhanaka utters the Buddha's words about himself, he makes present in his own body the essence and sovereign authority of Buddhahood. In the manner of Sheka, the essence of Buddhas infuses the Dharmabhanaka via the speech from his own mouth. And those transformations make him a Buddha to be, antecedent to the full attainment of Buddhahood, and yet enacting and revealing the power and presence of Buddhas. So the the chapter makes this process quite explicit in the section on the benefits redounding to the tongue. The dharmabanaka's enhanced tongue both tastes divine flavors and produces them when he utters the dharma, but his sweet sounds and their effects upon beings constitute the central focus of the section. Beings will be blissful and enchanted when they hear the honeyed madura tones of his tongue, which link him not only with the Buddha himself, but also with honey-tongued Agni of the Rig Veda. In its golden color, liquidity, and concentrated richness, honey is the very essence of fiery, sovereign potency, analogous to semen and soma, and an ingredient in the unction fluid used in the consecration of the king. But the Dharmabanaka's golden voice makes him the auspicious focus of visual as well as auditory encounters. Rhythmic parallel clauses enumerate the wish of the different kinds of beings who populate the cosmos to behold and venerate to have darshana of the Dharmapanika. They become present to the imagination and gather around him as he speaks. The passage culminates by proclaiming the desire for darshan, darshana kama, of the uh, darshan of the Bonika experienced by Shravakas, Pratyeka Buddhas, and indeed Buddhas themselves. Okay? Buddhas themselves desire darshan of the Bonika. What more conclusive evidence of his status as a freshly consecrated Buddha stand-in could there be? Right? Lest we miss the point, however, the, po- the passage itself concludes by making the presence of the Buddha at the performance of the Bonika explicit. When this passage is performed by the Dharmabanaka, the Buddha appears both before him and through him. Right? He is, the Buddha and the Dharmabanaka, proclaim a fitting receptacle or substitute, bhajana, right? for the teachings or qualities of the Buddha. The sound of the Dharma, Shabda, that he produces renders an encounter, darshana, with the vital and visible presence of the Buddha accessible to audiences. No longer is the death and disappearance of the Buddha at the time of his ostensible parinirvana real. Like images, dharmabhanakas are consecrated with the potent sovereign essence of Buddhas through the recitation of the Dharma. Like consecrated images, consecrated dharmabhanakas make the absent Buddha present and enable audiences to see him. Right. But unlike images, dharmabhanakas themselves utter the words that literally make them into receptacles or substitutes for the Buddha. They are the both means and end of the the ritual of consecratory recitation. That is the raison d'etre of the sutra, the true body of the Buddha that is eternally present and eternally visible because all of its speakers are freshly consecrated through their own performances. Um, The section on the benefits to the Dharmabhanika's body affects a similar transformation through somewhat different means. The prose section offers a pithy encapsulation and enactment of this transformation. The faculty of touch, usually associated with the body and accounts of the senses, is here superseded by a vision of the body as encompassing the cosmos and all those that inhabit it. The body of the dharmabanaka makes all those bodies visible and just as his tongue produced in others the desire to see him so does his body it's a cherished sight priyadarshana. it seems almost to act as a kind of screen on which other bodies of other beings are, are made manifest or perhaps better we could think about the notion of the performer's body incorporating the bodies and acts of others right which reveals a conception of what it means to impersonate, right? To take in and send out the vital essence of others and thereby to make them part of oneself, participating in a ritual poetic lineage of reproduction through verbal consecration and internalization. Um, the, no- the modern notion of the is like really not very useful here, I don't think, yeah. Um, so reprising the theme of cosmic awareness, the relatively brief section on the mental gifts of the Dharma that closes the chapter draws a causal connection between engagement with the Sutra and pervasive knowledge of the thoughts, deeds and stirrings of all beings. Um, yet most of the benefits self-referentially redound to the Dharma ability to remember, comprehend, expand upon and perform the Dharma. Unlike the other senses, aside from the tongue, that is, um, the mind is not visible to audiences. Uh, its enhancement of the Dharmabanaka's performance, however, is conspicuous and profound. When he hears even one verse, he will understand its many meanings, I'm quoting from the sutra here, and thus um, filled with comprehension, he will teach a discourse on that theme for a whole month, even for four months, even for a year. And despite the astonishing duration of this performance, his memory of the discourse that he utters will not suffer loss. And while he does not yet have the knowledge of a Buddha, whatever he teaches about the Dharma is true. It's all been said before by previous Buddhas. As with the verses about the Dharma sense of smell, the Dharma here articulates a kind of indirect third-person self-praise when he speaks the Buddha's words about his own mind. Right? But that self-praise affects an ontological change as it fills his Prakrita mind with the knowledge and authority of Buddhas in a kind of verbal Abhisheka. The mind embodied language of the sutra, the sound potency and seemingly infinite meaning that unfolds from its recitation and contemplation is both cause and result, both means and end of these transformations. We might say, following David Shulman, that being and knowing are somehow equivalent in this context, as in so many areas of Indian thought. Epistemology shades off into ontology and vice versa. To know the truth is to become that truth in a transformative and experiential manner. In the very moment of performance, the Dharmabhanika's body, his mind being one of the senses, of course, right? is in the process of becoming truth, right? In the process of incorporating and expressing the essence of Buddhas, at once verbal and substantial, epistemological and ontological. And the the audience bears witness to these invisible but not imperceptible transformations. The final verses of the section on the mind and of the chapter summarize the practice concisely. The practices of memorizing and reciting the sutra produce a mind that produces buddhavacana, antecedent to, and yet not in conflict with the unobstructed knowledge of a Buddha. The Dharmabhanaka, standing on the ground or stage of an exalted teacher, Acharya Bhumi, produces a mind capable not only of producing true buddhavacana, but also of comprehending its meaning. And when he utters these verses spoken by the Buddha about the dharmabanaka's mind, he performs the process of impersonation. Um, Ontologically transforming his body, mind, senses into the textualized essence of Buddhahood through the incorporation of that same speech born knowledge. So um, just to wrap up here, the chapter on the benefits to the performer of the Dharma sheds light on the self-referentiality of Mahayana Buddha Vachana as a normative mode of performed and performative utterance that aims to transform both speakers and listeners. The performance of the Dharmabanaka makes present and potent the essence and agency of the Buddha brought to life as his speech occupies the living body of his impersonator but the Dharma Bonica also makes the Buddha's performative performance present as past, right, as original, and as future, since he will be brought to life whenever the sutra is performed. Right? And just as the Buddha's presence is manifested in the very moment of performance, that marks his speech as past and offers him an eternal future. So the Dharmabanaka's present manifestation of Buddha essence in his Prakrita body consecrates himself as a future Buddha, in part by reenacting the Buddha's glorification of who the Dharmabanaka is and will become. As audience members are given darshan of a Buddha through the Dharmabanaka's reenactment, they not only see but are seen by him bathed in the auspicious sovereign power that radiates from his continually self-consecrated body, they both witness and undergo the potent present enactment of lineage transmission. As a receptacle or substitute, bhajana for the Buddha, the Dharma Bonika makes the Buddha's speech about the past, present and future of both performers and audience members act in the moment of performance. If darshan encompasses both perceiving and being perceived by the auspicious receptacle of sovereign power, this presencing effect is a form of oral or oral darshan. Right, the dharma bonica not only makes the Buddha visible through his own performative ontological transformations, but also enables the Buddha to see and speak anew to every audience and through every speaker. Teaching others, after all, is a crucial part of what makes the Buddha a Buddha, right? Um, in the endlessly transmissible and repeatable Abhisheka, that is the performance of the Pundarika, which aims to infuse everyone with its essence of sovereign Buddhahood and thus to extend its own reign and lineage eternally and throughout the cosmos, the dharma bonica fulfills the role of both virtuoso ritual specialist and potent embodiment. Prakrta, yet imbued with purvachana. Um, so I guess uh, the question is: In what ways, if at all, these ritual strategies inform the performance of the tertan? Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Natalie, for that uh, really fascinating talk. I uh, really have got a lot to learn about dharma because it's it's a very interesting topic.